0: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This.
1: This. This is, is AV Nation. Nation.
0: This is AV Nation.
2: Greetings and welcome, everyone, to this episode of AV Nation TV's Connected. I'm your host, David Danto and. Uh, you know, I just flew back from Las Vegas and boy, are my arms tired. Um, we, um, we finished a CES 2022, which was the weirdest CES I've ever attended. Um, I have, a, a, a tremendous panel of, uh, of esteemed guests that I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves in a moment, um, in the order that they're on my screen. So they should all kind of be prepared to go at any time. Um, some of them went and braved it with me. Some of them watched it, uh, 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 virtually over their computers and their social media. We're not throwing uh, uh, casting aspersions or throwing any negative comments about it, but we want to get everybody's impression about the controversies around the show, about the show and the themes that came from it. So in order on my screen, Jennifer, you're to my right. Jennifer, you're the first time on Connected. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do?
3: Yeah, thanks David and great to be here. Jennifer Ken, I'm Vice President of Research at Parks Associates. We're a market research and uh, consulting company based in Dallas and we focus on emerging consumer tech and uh, went to CES. and very excited to be talking about what I saw.
2: Awesome, thanks. Next to Jennifer on my screen is Doug. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do.
0: Hi, my name is Doug Money. Currently I'm Director of Content at Connect2 Communications and I'm also a uh, contributing um, reporter for several publications.
2: Thank you, Doug. Next to him is Greg Harper, my old friend. Greg, tell everybody who you
4: are and what you do. Sure. I'm uh, Greg Harper. I'm a co-founder of Gadgetoff and a president of Harper Vision Associates. And I'm a futurist looking at where things are going in technology.
2: Thank you very much, Greg. Tim, you're, you're a guest and not a host on this, but you're certainly familiar to everybody at AV Nation. Give everybody a minute and a half about who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, my day job is I am chief marketing officer of CTI out of St. Louis, an integrator. Um, but uh, I also am the founder of AV Nation and host of AV Week, a weekly um, news and information podcast that looks at the commercial AV space.
2: Terrific. Thank you, Tim. Next to him is Jim. Jim Harris. Say hello, everybody. Tell, tell everyone what you do.
5: Hello. I'm uh, an author, internationally uh, bestselling author. I uh, focus on disruptive innovation. Uh, many people don't know what that is, but Uber is worth more than every taxicab company in North America added together. That's disruptive. Um, I've been going to CES before it was even CES, when it was Comdex. And uh, it's a fantastic show, just love it. It's a must attend.
2: Thank you very much, Jim. I don't know that CES was ever Comdex, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll
4: take well, it. Well, no,
5: it, was, it wasn't, but Comdex was there before CES was in January.
4: Yeah, but CES was starting and uh, remember, there was summer CES in Chicago and everything else. So some of us go back a long, long way with CES.
2: Yeah, no, we're definitely representing a few a few centuries here of of our of our expertise. And then last but extremely not least, in fact, typically when you look at internet influencers, first we have uh, Evan Cristel. Evan, why don't you introduce yourself and give everybody a minute on what you do?
6: Yeah, hey, it's Evan Cristel, uh, tech influencer, content creator. I didn't go to CES this year, so I'm mainly going to just hang out and cast aspersions on Doug, Jim, and David from the uh, from the back uh, Tina gallery here. So.
2: Okay, that, that only took four minutes, and that's awesome. So no problem. Let's let's talk about the controversies. At first, we were all planning on the pandemic being over a year and a half ago, and then the the Delta variant kicked in, and then the Omicron variant kicked in, and this is not how I wanted the general public to learn the Greek alphabet. This is definitely not what I kind of had in mind. But, you know, really close to when I would say when CES actually started building the halls and putting the exhibits up. That's when the the Omicron variant started to get real for everybody. And we had an interesting phenomenon. Uh, Doug and Jim and Evan and I have talked about this in the past. and I don't want to dwell too much on it, but we had what was essentially a boycott by U.S. media. Now, I've said this before, and I'm speaking for my own personal opinion, and I certainly, Doug, I want yours as well. I have no objection to anybody, including my colleagues on this call saying, look, I don't want to go there right now because I personally don't feel safe. I want to be able to be a little bit more protected. That was a personal decision, and I totally respect everybody's decision. But for media companies to say it is impossible for us to send anyone to cover this event, oh, but by the way, we're going to cover it anyway simply because of the briefings that our sponsors have given us, and we're going to badmouth it while we go along, I think it was probably a low point for media journalism in the U.S. So, so Doug, let me ask you your opinion of that, and I'll let anybody
0: else chime in if they want
2: to on that subject.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it, it and and you know some of this anti CES messaging, um, it still continues. I mean, it was going on throughout the show, where you were we seeing people posting, um, pictures of the of, of of an empty hall, and it was like, okay, but that's a picture the day before the show. People aren't there the day before the show, um, so I mean, I I'm I don't want to beat the dead horse. But, but yeah, I don't, I'm disappointed in a lot of publications, but it's also been revealing because you have an idea that, um, how they might've been handling it in the past in terms of pre-can coverage and embargo briefings. And, and, you know, when CES shows up live, all they do is hit the button and, and have it published to a website.
3: Yeah, so, um, you know, I did attend, right, uh, much shorter than I normally would have in the past. I would have spent more time on the, on the show floor, but went to some of the media events, right, went to a Wheat Park Associates, hosted its own uh, one-day summit called Connection Summit at CES. Um, and so, of course, yeah, ex- exhibit, exhibitors were down, attendees were down, um, but I still got a ton of value out of going myself, um, and I think actually it probably beat my expectations once I saw all of the big names dropping and a lot of our meetings were canceled. Right. So I thought, you know, what, what are we really going to get out of this event? And as an analyst, I got to spend so much more time with the smaller companies and the media and and the medium companies that maybe I wouldn't have spent as much time with as past. Right. Or that press releases would have come through that maybe I just would have glazed over. And in fact, I actually got to spend more time with them. And then our, our event, at least our one day event actually, um, had, pretty much normal attendance, so I don't know if we benefited from the fact that, you know, there was less to see or do, and, and so they wound up there or or what, but um, we were really pleased, so, um, you know, what the, the media is covering in general and, and, you know, what they think is a hot narrative to push versus what I saw really doesn't match.
2: Tim, this is your first CES. You had some comments about this as well?
1: Well, yeah, it, w- it was, I mean, you, you've been after me for 10 years to go to this thing. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, it, I, was, I had already made the decision to go, and then people started kind of dropping out. Um, but I figured it would be a light one anyway before Omnicron, right, before that. And um, I will say this, regardless of whether it's 40,000 people or 120,000 people, I will, I will go back in 23. It was incredibly valuable, um, not just from the I am a geek and I am a techie and I loved everything there, whether it was the West Hall or over at the, the Sands slash Venetian, the, the frickin' Eureka Park was fantastic to me. Um, but from the, the commercial side of, of the AV industry, it was incredibly, incredibly valuable from that as well. Uh, I saw inc- a number of, of products that are going to come down the pipeline that will either be hitting either later this year or in the next couple of years that will have significant impact. So from both sides of, of my life, I thought it was incredibly valuable.
2: Yeah, that that's really my takeaway from this as well. I kind of tend to, other than taking some video of the splashiness of some of the bigger booths, I tend to ignore the bigger booths that take place at the show generally anyway. I had to come to the conclusion, a very difficult, painstaking conclusion about ten years ago, that it was impossible to cover CES as a person. Maybe if you had a team of fifteen or twenty people and you divided it up, you could see the whole thing. So I've I kind of let the big tech media run with the, the the big announcements. I just do the press conferences. The press events. And then I look around for the smaller things and I was not disappointed. I saw some really amazing things at the show this year that I would not have seen um, uh, if I had, had been there remotely. The one thing that I'm very surprised about, though, you know, uh, uh, COVID is real. Omicron is real. You know, as we're recording this, it looks like perhaps maybe that, that we've hit the tip and it's starting to wane and I can keep my fingers crossed. I can't believe some of the media events that a number of you you were at and that you, many of you have attended in the past where you're in a ballroom in a casino with all of these people and they've got this buffet out and people are whipping their masks off and eating. And as it happens, I was talking to the scientists from Abbott. Um, at the time, they were talking about the, the, the test kits they were giving out. And I was actually doing my own interview while being B-roll for the, uh, the Abbott uh, uh, sizzle reel that they were doing. And, and we're talking to each other and we're saying, can you believe these people? I mean, I know they're journalists and there's free food and everything. But my God, that mask <laughs> is not coming off my face unless I'm outside or in my hotel room. So, so it's it was, really funny, it was... David.
6: It's like it's, I, I went primarily to avoid catching COVID. And now everyone I know is catching COVID, a.k.a. Omicron. So I'm wondering what, what was the actual point, but, um, it's interesting. Abbott, we were the first healthcare company to do a keynote at CES. So it was, uh, I think good timing because so much of CES was focused on health and wellness and patient care and aging tech and other things related to, uh, staying safe, uh, at, in home in place. So I I love that focus from the show. What do
4: you think? I thought the Abbott Abbott, uh, presentation was really, really quite special. And uh, seeing it and having real people come up that have actually benefited from some of the stuff they're doing, that was really very powerful. So even though I did not attend in person, I was planning to attend. I uh, actually had my reservations up until about two or three days before. But... um, I'm upstate New York right now in in a lovely environment, and I just said, "Wait a minute, what am I doing? Uh, Leave uh, uh, my bubble up here where there's nobody, and uh, going to uh, an airplane?" And uh, uh, doesn't doesn't hurt that my brother-in-law's a a big deal at National Institutes of Health, and he said, "No way, Jose." So, (laughs) but um, but uh, you know, this is I've been going to CES now for oh I I don't know. 40 some years. I mean, I, I don't even remember where, how long it's been. Um, and I've never missed one. And that's really amazing. Uh, so I, I've sort of partially missed it. But I, I agree with you. The most exciting part of CES is not so much the big events, but it's also seeing all the Eureka Park and all the other stuff and trying to get an idea where things are going. And that, of course, I missed. Uh, so I was able to see the big trends from the keynotes and the, and the presentations, but I missed uh, going around Eureka Park and seeing all the little things. Fortunately, I do get a lot of the press releases. I do get a lot of people talking about it, and I've had an opportunity to speak with a lot of these people privately, uh, so I've not missed it 100%, but it certainly would have been better being there if it had not been for um, health.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Greg, you you catch remotely, you catch the unknowns that you know, but you don't catch the unknowns that you don't know. It's that serendipity that's missing. Doug, you had a couple of comments on that? Yes,
0: I did. I think number one is that the only company that could have, pulled out of CES and shut it down was Abbott. If Abbott, the healthcare company, as Evan's been underlying, <laughs> underlining, if Abbott had pulled out and said, hey, this is not safe for us, I think there would have been a ripple effect that would have gone beyond um, gone beyond, and, and probably shifted the show to oh, virtual. That's the first point. Second point is that there were a lot of brands that um, continued to do live... Um, uh, press conferences and also brands that were there, and the thing that they benefited from—they were big fish in a small pond. Um, consider two facts: consider that um, I was able to go to the Qualcomm um, press conference and I got a seat. I never get a seat, and I've been going to Qualcomm for <laughs> I, you know, I, I was, you know, and um, so that was very powerful to me. And for some of the other press conferences, like the. Um, John Deere and um, a couple of others, they were standing room only, which was kind of like, you know, trip my Dave Danto, I must escape from the COVID trap. Um, I think secondly was that um, the brands that were there stood out. Um, When I rolled out on Monday, uh, Wednesday morning, and I came off the um, train and I looked down, came off the monorail and I looked down, I could see John Deere and I could see Sierra Space. I don't see anybody else. And there was a beauty in that because there wasn't all the extraneous noise of 20 to 30 different companies, um, you know, trying to get through and and trying to overwrite or or send out their own messaging. Um, And I think that to Jennifer's point earlier, you got more quality time with fewer people. I mean, you know, uh, Gary um, uh, Shapiro. Yeah, he, CES may send out a contract on me when I say that this was the best CES ever because there were fewer people, and you were able to get quality time with people, and the brands that the, were, were there, the exhibits that were there, stood out. Well, CES has obviously, well, obviously for those
2: of us who attended in the past, grown too big. It's too much happening in too short a period of time. It's like three shows. It's a concept show. It's a product show. It's a press show. There's a lot of things going on. I was very taken aback. You know, I show up early, earlier than early to save money on the the expensive hotels. But I show up early to attend the, the, the media days. And the second media day, which is one of the most exciting times where you get to go to the press conferences, I spent the day in my hotel room watching it on a stream just like all of you guys that didn't show up. Because most of the press conferences, including the ones that were taking place live, with a few exceptions, weren't allowing people in. So you know, you you would look at the the LG press conference in the morning, which was actually pretty depressing. The fact that that, that LG is a company I completely respect didn't learn anything from last year and did another canned forty-five minute commercial, um, as opposed to the Intel press conference, which went on with the press conference actually speaking to me and doing their press conference, which seemed much more natural. Jim, I get you were watching these things, these conferences remotely. What, what were your takeaways from from the, the, the way they were put on.
5: Well, one of the things I liked about being remote, because I didn't go this year, uh, I was, you know, very intensely focused remotely was, uh, you know, during the media days, there are 7,000 international journalists and you get out of one pest conference and you, you line up a thousand people deep to get into the next one, unless, uh, you figure out how to get VIP front-of-the-line passes to get in. So you just leave your one conference two minutes before it finishes and go directly into the other. And, Jim, wait uh, a second.
2: Let, let me interrupt you there for a second and let you go right back to it. Apparently, we've learned this year that the people that get the VIP passes to the press conferences don't actually report on them anyway. They did all of their reporting on the pre-briefings anyway. So uh, There we
5: go. But But it's a good thing to get the VIP passes. You bypass the 1,000-person line. But uh, here, if you're virtual, you can just jump in and out of conferences. One conference isn't cutting it for you, you just jump out of it. But one of the things that really impressed me was the Qualcomm CEO, uh, rather than just have a canned presentation, at the end of his presentation, took live questions from the floor. So uh, this is really great, as opposed to your comment about LG, Dave. Um, Really, uh, let's listen to what the journalists in the room are interested in. So that really impressed me. Um, so uh, the other thing we were talking about, Abbott, you know, some of the tech that gets introduced is really cool. So real-time, continuous glucose monitoring. You think, oh, okay, people who are diabetics are going to want this? Sure, of course. And it's a big segment. Fifteen percent of all healthcare costs are due to diabetes but it can also be used proactively by high performance athletes around optimizing their uh, performance. If you're an Olympic athlete. So, you know, things that Abbott, uh, highlighted in the, uh, event, it, it's, uh, it's got dual purpose there and we're going to get to real time, not just monitoring, but how do I optimize my performance? And, uh, so these wearables and, uh, uh, e-health or telehealth are really important and interesting themes that Evan was raising. Yeah, so, it's,
4: it's interesting that you know I, I was watching the press conferences, and as you say, it was really nice to be able to go from one to the other without having to wait in line with or without a VIP pass. And yes, I did get the pre-briefing, so I knew a lot about it. Uh, I walked away the first day and I said, well, I get out of the AV world, get out of the n- new technology, the gadget world. I'm going to get into farming. That that, that John Deere presentation <laughs> blew me away. I'm going to get into robotics. And I'm going to get into automotive. Um, the whole idea of a digital chassis, uh, which I think applies to a lot of different things, that was really fascinating. And that you know we heard a lot of that from Qualcomm, et cetera. Um, those were some really highlights for me to see what was going on, the, talking about ecosystems and all the rest. Yes, they've got fancy cars that do all kinds of crazy things. But that's not the point. The point is, it's that ecosystem of the digital chassis. That really focused it very nicely. And I think that applies not just to the automotive space. I think it applies to the home. You have the home chassis, a digital chassis, you're going to see the same thing applying in the office space, et cetera, where you have these different devices. So that's a very big difference between what we were talking about before in the automotive, where we had individual modules that did different things, as opposed to everything working together on a digital chassis. So that was a huge takeaway. I don't think I would have had that same expression, feeling, had I not been able to sit down and listen to the various people side by side. And I actually went and listened to some of the conferences again, because they were on demand, just to make sure I didn't miss something. I wouldn't have done that had I been there.
2: And Greg, you know, uh, the last time we were there in 2020, and I walked around, I saw one of those concept vehicles, that digital chassis, Mm -hmm. you know, the the autonomous rolling office, and it was all in loose sight, and it was pretend. And this year, as I walked around, I must have seen 10 or 20 of them. Yeah. But they were there. There, It's definitely something that's out there. Everybody's c- carving out their piece of it. You saw the LG press conference, their Omnipod, which was kind of all of it thrown in together, plus a dressing room and a, and, a, and a virtual coach and the rest of it. So. So, yeah, I do think there is something to be said for these rolling combined pieces that will be coming out, obviously not this year. Uh, but, but in, in, you know, in the years to come, it looks like that's going to be something people, even some on. of the
4: robotic stuff. I mean, when you're looking at, uh, uh, Hyundai, you know, with their, with, uh, having bought Boston dynamics, uh, and, and, and movable robotic offices. I mean, there, there, are some really interesting concepts coming out here, uh, that I think are going to, uh, lead to different areas. And, and Dave, as you know, I've been a, a gadget guy from, um, yeah, I've got a, a huge barn full of the gadgets back going back to the, <laughs> to the seventies, um, Uh, Great. What's your
6: address? I may need to pay you a visit the you're not front. the
4: only one I've had I've had people coming up here actually wanting my collection for a museum uh, but that's <laughs> another story for another day but um, you know I, I all of a sudden everything has been individual devices it's a you know it's a, a CD player or a DVD player or a blu-ray player or a laser disc or an RCA disc or whatever it's going to be um, but now it's there's these are modules all working on a standard platform think of the Lego baseboard that you build things on and I think that was a major challenge I mean, look at the look at what happened with John Deere. I mean, they took a standard tractor, they then took their G, uh, their GPS system, which they've had for a while. They merged that together with AI, uh, camera vision, all the rest, and they created a new platform. That is going to go a long way. It's, yes, it's that huge tractor today, but tomorrow it's going to be your lawn tractor, and the day after that it's going to be the construction stuff. And then you saw some of the other people talking about the electric um, devices, electric uh, bulldozers and electric uh, front loaders uh, for construction sites for eco. I mean that. There was some really exciting stuff going on, merging the digital, uh, electric, and uh, AI. I, I thought that was really fascinating.
5: I just want to jump in for one second to make a link to what Greg just said to sustainability. So in past, if you were a farmer, you spayed pesticide over all your crops. But now with this platform Greg was talking about, with the computer vision, you can I, the, the combine I, I finds a tiny little weed and just sprays pesticide just on that tiny little weed rather than, you know, across the entire field. So you can cut your pesticide use by 90, 95% and still get rid of weeds. And, and, so and it, this is where the tech and sustainability tie together. Yeah, and then take that one
4: step further because it, that, that, that combine has sensors and it knows what the soil is and knows what I need more water, less water. Uh, it really, that, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I mean, I said, wait a minute, farming has all of a sudden gotten exciting again.
2: And that's a fraction of the sustainability story, which was one of the key themes to come out this year. You know, the idea that, you know, electric autonomous vehicles uh, and so many other of the, you know, the, the technologies that we're using that are now going to be paying attention to the environment that we live in and grow in. So that was definitely one of the themes, you know, the, the, the impossible meats and the, uh, the, the, the food sustainability earth, uh, you know, uh, farm to table and some of the other capabilities that sustainability was a key theme. Um, one of the other key themes, and Evan, I, I want to go back to you, um, was this concept of, of you know, the, the telehealth and the personal health assistant and how healthcare, not just from Abbott, but from so many other organizations, was a big theme at the show this year. What are your takes on what you see in that space?
6: Yeah, and again, observing from afar as I wasn't there, I just saw many, so many new novel devices that weren't just toys, but very practical solutions for remote patient monitoring from you know, light bulbs that used a kind of private radar to to check if you've fallen or if your blood pressure, temperature are out of normal ranges. Uh, really interesting, you know, smart beds that can heat or cool based on your body temperature and move you around based on uh, whether you're snoring or not, and um, yeah, just, uh, you, you know, health and wellness devices that allow us to take more control of our body through data. I, I, and I, I just saw so much of that. I saw a lot of aging in place tech. I mean, we're all getting older, except for Jennifer. She looks like she's getting younger, but we're all getting older and we're going to start. We're not going to want to go to a care home or a nursing home or at least try to stay out of that or the hospital. And so aging in place is going to be a big theme in which I, I think uh, tech companies can play. So really exciting to see all of those solutions on display and uh, announced for this year. But I will say, Dave, my, my one big life regret will be not seeing the color-changing BMW car in person. I, I think I really missed one of the greatest uh, tech demos uh, of all time. What do you think, Jim?
5: Uh, absolutely, that, uh, that got millions of impressions well you, you got 270 just, million. just wild i'm
6: guessing that got yeah, billions of impressions worldwide but quite a marketing stunt
2: pierce brosnan and john cleese had it for us years and years ago so i don't <laughs> think we really need to focus on that change colors big deal um, I will, uh, just black, I will just black,
4: just black to white though. Come just on.
2: black to white. Yeah, Invisible coming in the next, you know, next time John Cleese is there. Um, the um, Greg, I want to pick up on something that you mentioned and, and, and ask Jennifer to comment because yes, while we're now talking about ecosystems of connectivity and compatibility, one of the things I go to CES for, which was still there was the little guy coming up with an invention that just made sense. Why hasn't anybody else done this before? And, and I forget, Aposio was the name of the company that, that, that came up. I know, Jennifer, I know if you saw that. I know you'll comment on the smart home and the connected home. We have all of these devices around us right now. I've got three within earshot, so I have to be careful not to say the wake words, um, that, that are always listening to what I'm saying, and we're always concerned about privacy as a society. And this company came out with a charging device that these things plug into that mute the microphones. And I'm trying to think of, all right, so why is this cool? Why aren't I just doing this with some gaffer's tape that I roll around the device? They said, no, no, this is listening to you locally. And when you tell it to start listening, it will let the microphone go through for 15 or 20 seconds. Then it'll cover it up again. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Why wouldn't I put my phone in a charger and, 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 and have my privacy a little protected? So, Jennifer, there is a lot of smart home technologies, including that one. What, what are your comments on that sector and, and what it was looking like?
3: I I did see that one in particular, which I thought was really, really great. You know, um, Park Associates Research does say that privacy and security concerns about connected devices in the home are a top barrier for adoption for for connected devices in the home. So technologies like that really that can can uh, give consumers a little bit more peace of mind, even if they don't understand, you know, edge computing versus cloud and that this is happening locally. They just know that the microphone's muted, right? And give you that extra peace of mind that you can trust the devices in your house, I think matter a whole lot. Um, I also saw some other, kind of components, um, advances that I thought were cool and neat and made sense. Uh, One was in um, the air monitoring filtration sector. I don't know if you guys saw that there are just a ton of companies doing air purification, COVID of course being a respiratory illness. So there's been a a whole, I mean, again, a a big spike in concern about indoor air quality. I saw so many
2: virus buster things there. I don't know how many of them were real and how many weren't, but Lord knows I picked up a whole bunch of virus buster stickers.
3: Well, so I don't know if you saw a company called AtmaFizer, but one of the technology that they've come up with actually uses audio waves to coagulate together really small, small particles. So things that your normal air filter wouldn't catch or even a HEPA filter. And that if you, if you were able to filter to, to that size, you'd have to have so much energy producing airflow that, you know, the energy efficiency would be blown. And so they actually can coagulate small particles together so that they can be ca- caught by normal fil- filters, right? And so, do they really have a product, a standalone product that's going to sell? No, but that type of component that the rest of the industry, right, can get can get behind or incorporate, really moves products forward, with I lo- which I love. Um, the other thing that I think is is really awesome that I saw. Actually, Evan touched on it. Um, is you know the light bulb that does um pa- it's really passive monitoring and the smart mattresses from sleep number that do passive monitoring in the home which i think is going to be just incredibly important tech for healthcare in the home and for aging in place as well um, because of course everybody talks about wearables and smart watches and the, the health fitness and sensors you know but. When, when you're talking especially about older consumers, not everybody likes to wear things on their, on their wrists, right? Um, you might have sens- uh, sensitive or dry or, or thinner skin um, and the ability to, if you have to, gosh, charge these devices overnight, when one of the most common times that, that, that seniors fall is at night on the way to the bathroom, you're not able to pick up those, those falls and those emergencies. So the passive monitoring tech that I saw that you can use radar, Um, You can use Wi-Fi sensing. Um, Some companies are doing Wi-Fi sensing to, to pick up passively the motion and, and what's happening in the home, I think, is, is really. Yeah, it, it's exciting.
4: interesting. You should mention that because I have a Sleep Number bed uh, that I got after CES uh, last last time I was there, and I I don't have it up here, uh, up in the Adirondacks. I have it back in New York City, and I'm actually missing the data that the thing gives me. Uh, and it coupled that with my Aura ring, which gives you mm. the, the and that does that, that doesn't have the problem of having to be charged. You charge it once a week, and it, you wear it all the time. But those combinations of those things. You it really trumps the, the smartwatch uh, because it's on all the time and the bed is just there all the time. So I, I agree with you that some of those sensors are really important. The problem is they're not all talking to each other yet. Um, so if you have... If you have the bed talking to the ring, talking to the light source, talking to the circadian rhythm uh, light source capability, uh, looking at the air filter, pro- when you put all those together, that middleware, that I haven't seen yet. I'm seeing a lot of the individual pieces, but I'm not seeing the middleware. And I think that's going to be a critical point. That's my point about the uh, ecosystem that is on the automobile, because the automobile was the same idea. It was a lot of individual pieces. Now with the digital chassis, they're putting it together. And I think what we're going to see going forward is all these little devices we're talking talking. talking about, all talking to a digital chassis or a home chassis, if you will, that will allow these things to interact and connect. That's where the starts getting exciting.
2: That was actually a joke in the 1960s by a comedian who will remain nameless um, about when you get on a talking elevator and he gets angry, you the guy who beats up your toaster, right? <laughs> uh, all these devices talking to each other, the rise of Skynet. So, so, Tim, as you pointed out at the beginning, I've been trying to coax you to go to the show for the longest time. I think I've yep. convinced you that uh, from, a, from a professional AV and collaboration standpoint that it's worthwhile. And I saw a company that created a new type of speaker line driver that I'd never seen before. Instead of having a conical speaker driver, which is how it's been since speakers were invented, they've created a linear driver. So all of a sudden our sound bars and our bar devices now can actually be much more efficient. And again, that's not something I would have picked up from any of the press releases or press conferences, but I had to go see it at the show. What were your takes as a, as a long standing AV professional from the th- your experiences at the show?
1: Well, that was one of them, right? And, and the way that they, they kind of pitched it is is a, a, a new wave of, of, of speaker, right, uh, new technology on that. Um, a couple of, of elements, one was uh, the mini-LEDs. Um, I've been a long, long-time fan of, of OLED, uh, and I've been a long-suffering fan of OLED and waiting for, for the technology to get there. And uh, after seeing the mini-LEDs in person, uh, I'm ready to put down my OLED banner uh, and, and pick up my the mini-LED one. Um, the, the technology is there um the the pictures are are crisps both samsung and tcl which were um right next to each other which was convenient um so well you could compare and contrast both of those uh there was an occupancy sensor uh which in the world of av ox sensors are important when it comes to control and automation uh because it allows you to do certain things you know to, to automate certain things including um, you know, if, if someone is not in the room, obviously you can shut it down. If somebody walks into the room, obviously you can, tu- you can turn everything on. But this one uh, allows you to um to, to de- detect you know how many people are actually in the room, uh, how long they are there, and so that data can be fed back into the uh systems uh that allows uh folks to say okay, you know, this, these rooms are being used more often than, than the others. Uh, and then David, you and I saw um the, uh, call call out call out canon, I don't care, it, the system's called AMLOS and it is a, it's an add-on to a video conferencing system that allows you to take one camera, one 4K camera, and create f- up to four streams out of that one camera, including taking a whiteboard in the room, even if it's off-center and not exactly centered, and it will auto-key correct uh, the whiteboard and, and, and bring it straight on, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and if that's not cool enough, it'll also ghost you if you're writing on the whiteboard so I could be writing on the whiteboard. It would not, it would eliminate me, which is a task by the way Um, and and, you know, (laughs) thank you Jim um and, and allow you just to just to see their written uh, portion so that one that one is 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 really really interesting to watch
2: yeah we will all be hearing more from canon amlos going forward they've got got a tiger by the tail yeah. there and it's a, yeah. a really very fascinating and interesting so so doug you and i had some chats before and during the show and we actually did run into each other at show stoppers um remember i asked you the question you know is is the the, the current spacecraft that we're looking at going to be real or is it going to go the way of the venture star that never happened and you were quite passionate about that i recall
0: yeah, I, I think the, um, the the two major names in space that were there, and the one that commit were um, Sierra Space Corporation, which is a spinoff of Sierra Nevada Company, not the beer company, the defense company. Um, and the other company that was there, um, other than Sierra Space, was um, uh, Zero G, which is they basically give uh, take seven twenty seven and it does funny loops. Well, not funny loops. It takes a funny rot in the sky and gives you thirty seconds of, of weightlessness um, on a, on a plane ride. Um, so I want to take a step back and then about space tech in general at CES, and then go a little bit deeper into Sierra space and, and, and the thing that they were showing. Um, I think from a general standpoint, um, space tech is a work in progress for CES. I, I I don't, there were only two names there, um, uh, that I, I mentioned before. And there were a lot of little companies, but the little companies had no way linkage into the space tech um, hashtag that was floating around by CES. That's issue number one. Issue number two is there there were a lot of space companies that could have been there um, doing uh, tourism and um, uh, commercial um, services that weren't there. And I think that next year will be the, the interesting point to see whether or not um, CES can broaden that tent from the little, like, you know, two big brands to to more brands.
2: Yeah, our good friend okay. uh, Steve Koenig, uh, the VP of Research for CTA, is going to be with us hopefully next week live to talk about his impressions. But he was the one that coined in his presentation that we're going, we're entering this era of space tourism, honeymoons in space. You know, everybody's going to want to go up and join Captain Kirk there. So uh, I don't know if I believe that. You know, I when I think of billionaires in space, I kind of think of you know like the middle ship from Hitchhiker's Guide. But but um, hopefully uh, you know it'll be a growing area.
0: I don't want to get a rat hole down here, but I'll just say about space tourism is that, um, you, know, you know, first, nobody could go could go very quickly before I go back to Sierra Space. First, nobody want only um, trained people could go up to Everest, and now you pay $50,000 and you can go up to Everest. doesn't say you have to live, but, you know, anybody these days can write a check for $50,000 to go climb Mount Everest. And I think that, that with these uh, initial um, space, quote unquote, tourism companies, I, I, you know, we're going to go through that curve where now it's not build, it's not a millionaire hobby. It's going to be like somebody who can write $50,000 checks. OK, I want to put that aside and talk about Sierra Space. In um, that space plane that you've shown, it flies end of this year. Well, or beginning of next year. But the, the target date for the Sierra um, Space Dream Chaser space plane Uh, The cargo version is scheduled to fly at the end of this year. End of story, no stop. They have a contract with NASA for multiple flights to ISS to move groceries, well, cargo, to move uh, cargo up from the ground up to the International Space Station. You know, right now, I think it's through 2028, and there's an extension, go up to 2030. So it's happening. The money's there. They're going to happen. The bigger picture is that Sierra Space was trying to paint is that they're building a larger ecosystem. And... You know, because they've got a, they want to, they were showing off a concept for a commercial space station to replace the International Space Station once it is retired. Um, And their team, and Sierra Space is teamed with Blue Origin to put that station together. Um, So I think the the bigger thing that um, Sierra Space is doing um, is that they're rolling out PR for a long-term effort to make sure that people understand that they're a name brand like Northrop Grumman is, or Boeing is, or SpaceX you know, or Blue Origin, Sierra Space wants to be in that bigger conversation. So that's the reason why they spent money. And I think they got the best bang for the buck out of anybody who showed up at um, CES. Will they be at CES next year? Don't know. Interesting question. I mean, you know, um, so who knows? But that's, that's my two cents worth. I think space tech is going to be worth watching in the future. um, And CES is going to got some sweat work to do to to actually bring it, um, bring it to something where, um, I can respect it, if, if I can be so stobby as to say that.
2: Okay. Well, you know, I think these are all really terrific topics, and we've learned quite a bit for this. Um, Jim, you had a couple of points you wanted to make before I go on with this?
5: Yeah, I want to go back to something Greg raised of middleware. And, you know, middleware really highlights a pain point you know, I don't know whether somebody sent me an email or a DM in Twitter or on LinkedIn or whether it was a text or, you know, a voicemail. And I have to go through five or six different systems to try and figure out where did this, I know they sent me something. And we really need this middleware in our lives to just make systems interoperate. And this is like, so simple, one oh one, and we still don't have anything. You know, everybody wants a proprietary system like uh, Facebook. Uh, you know, we uh, our messenger is the thing. Well, no, not if you're not on Messenger, it isn't. So how do we get to that? Well,
6: first, first, Jim, you, you need to give up your BlackBerry. It, it is time to hand over. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I know I mean, you're it's dead. It prepared. died. It died during the show. It was so sad. I know it's, been,
6: it's been important over the last few decades, but that's number one. Secondly, isn't Matter, the new standard for smart homes, supposed to address all that? Jim, maybe Jennifer can comment.
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the promise. That's the hope, right? I mean, you have this very, very rare situation where you've got Apple, Amazon, Google, Samsung, all agreeing to come together and work on a standard i mean there's been standard after standard in the connected home space right but never before have all four of them kind of gotten on the same page and said hey there's more opportunity if we can make this work together And we're actually going to work outside of our ecosystems and in this way make our ecosystems work together now Um, We always say with standards, right, wait and see, (laughs) proof is in the pudding and the product launches got pushed to 2022. Um, But that's the real hope, right, that 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 matter really takes care of the fragmentation, at least across the connected home space and allows the companies to innovate on the use cases and the things that really matter to, to consumers and take a lot of the pain away.
5: So this ties into one of the themes, which is I believe tech, when it's at its best, you can't even see it like it's a miniaturization. It just becomes seamless and integrated. So, for instance, you know, an ECG gets built into wearables and it automatically seamlessly notifies your doctor if your heart rhythm becomes irregular. And then AI comes in and says, based on your pattern, we think you'll have a heart attack in 10 days. So why don't we do something about it right now, rather than wait until your left arm goes numb. So how does this become seamless, integrated? So it's about middleware, it's about business case, it's about interoperability. And so I think when tech is gonna be most successful, we won't even see it. AI will fix everything.
0: It's
2: interesting that you um, that that you bring that up because we, we we've gone now 40 minutes through this conversation and nobody has you know nobody said the secret word. Um, uh, the 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 buzzword this year was metaverse, um, and you know I'm I'm not a big fan of the concept of metaverse. I've written some things about it where you know it's an overhyped expression that for all its misuse and 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 hype. Does at least truthfully say that these things are going to be talking to each other more in the future. But you have to see. And again, I know you guys. Some of you guys weren't there. That um, that when you're walking down the hall, you know, you're walking past the hot dog stand, and all of a sudden they've put up a placard that says it's the metaverse hot dog stand. It was literally that blatant that everybody was claiming that now that their tool, if it connects to the internet, is part of the metaverse. And no, you don't need to bring your Second Life avatar out of retirement. Although I just did read today that the founder of Second Life is joining. Meta, But but um, you, you don't need to do that. We're not going to be playing with avatars on a screen sitting in front of a computer all day. It's not going to be Ready Player One in the future. But within the next five, three to five years, you will find more of these devices and smart systems talking with each other and communicating in a way that kind of connects them in a way they haven't been connected before much like your digital chassis that you were describing greg yeah. so you know i think metaverse is a hype word you can pretty much but what, what's the peanuts joke if you're reading a russian novel you don't recognize the word just skip over it it makes perfect sense without it you can just ignore everything with anybody saying metaverse now for at least the next two years because it's all hype but be aware that these connections are coming between pieces agree disagree anyone want to chime
5: in I agree the metaverse isn't here, but you see companies jumping in, like uh, Adidas selling a limited edition 30,000 sneakers, NFTs to to wear in the metaverse. Like you have your own unique Adidas sneakers, and we only made 30,000 of them. So when you buy this NFT, you're really special for when you go into whatever the metaverse becomes, you can have your... You know, individual kicks along with thirty thousand friends on them. So Jim, I think yeah, you're it's, either, you're it's either hyper making now. my
2: point or you're making Doug's point about writing checks. One or the other. But but you're definitely making one of those <laughs> or points. Both. Or both. Or both. Yeah, so so um I I think the you know, we haven't talked about NFTs, we haven't talked about cryptocurrency, we haven't talked about a lot of the other buzzwordy topics. Um, oh, thank I go God. back to my Thank you. Yeah. I, I go back to my, 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 my Peanuts reference to the Russian novels. Just skip over anything you don't understand. Everything will make perfect sense, even if you don't know anything about it. Um, but, but those were all at the show this year trying to uh, uh, get FaceTime and get value from people that were attending
4: well you didn 't you also didn 't mention anything about the communications ultra wide band five uh, g etc because that is the that 's one of the ways that things will talk to each other whether it 's wi fi six or or ultra wide band all the rest and right now those, and 5G, of course, um, uh, low latency, connectivity, that's standardized, etc. So when we talk about where, how these things are all going to talk to each other, I mean we talk about the digital chassis in the car, I mean, part of the idea behind 5G is your car is talking to another car and knows what it's doing, as opposed to looking in the camera and saying, oh, the red taillights went on, therefore, they must be braking, I'll stop. Or the sensor telling you, I'm closing in on the car much faster. So uh, how much of that, I mean, I wasn't there, I mean, that, that's the the stuff I look at every day. Uh, Right now, the ultra wideband stuff is is pretty much Google and, and Apple have got it, but they don't really they've got the chips, but they don't have there's no products out there to do it. Um, that I mean, there's Apple's got their, their their smart tags and Google's got their thing, but it you know putting it all together and making it talk to other things that's part of where it's going I think and for the home and 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 that would allow you to be in that metaverse if you want because then you can have the processing uh, in in the cloud uh, wherever you are without having to worry about being tethered etc. whether it goes to your glasses or or to your earbuds or or your or your device because it allow for the fast high high connection
2: well greg i'll, I'll remind you that as we were flying to see uh, C- those of us that went we're flying to ces this year we were reading about how the, the the telephone companies were graciously allowing the c-band 5g to be on pause for i think a week or 10 days so that uh, they could uh um you know, um, make sure that it wouldn't down the planes. So we were a little confusing. Why don't we go around the table and uh, and, and go in reverse order here and uh, and wrap up, just see how uh, everybody's feeling about this and uh, and see what our biggest takeaways from this. And then let me know if you think you're going to CES next year, if it happens, if there isn't still a pandemic. So let's go in the opposite order. Evan, what do you think?
6: Well, as far as next year, CES, I'll be waiting for the next variant uh, that will likely hit us. So um, who knows what what's what's the Greek alphabet? Uh, 2013 edition. But um, no, I, I think uh, I think it's something you said, David, uh, 40,000 people is small for CES, but that's one of the biggest shows in the world. And maybe that is a right size for, you know, a great technology event. So I I think I'll put aside my uh, cautiousness and throw caution to the wind and head out next
2: year. There you go, Evan. Evan, how can people reach out to you if they want to reach you?
6: I've been known to tweet, not as much as Jim Harris, but I've been known to tweet occasionally at Evan Kerstell, and I look forward to chatting there.
2: Terrific. Thanks very much for joining us. Jim, you're next going backwards from the order before. Um, What do you think? What are your takeaways? Do you think you'll be there next year? Do you think it's going to be a worthwhile event?
5: Well, it's always a worthwhile event. I certainly hope I'll be there. And uh, one comment about this uh, integrating technology. My wife was born in Quebec, which is French. And, you know, the French and Italians, they gesture a lot. So her Apple Watch continually thinks she's fallen, you know? So this AI and tech is meant to help us, but you should have settings, you know, set it onto the French setting where they go, oh, it's just, you know, francophone gesturing you know not it's not a fall so uh you know we're still not there to utopia yet and but that's one of the exciting things about technology it's always evolving and uh changing and getting better and uh this is an amazing show to go to so i'm looking forward to being at it in 2023
2: Jim, how can people reach out to you if they want to
5: get you? So, uh, like Evan, I'm on Twitter. It's just at Jim Harris. Also on LinkedIn, uh, Jim Harris, and uh, yeah, like Evan, I tweet a lot.
2: I- I've heard rumors to that effect. Mr. Albright, yes, um, I- what do you think now that you've been there? We've got you hooked. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm going back. I, you know, I, I don't care if it's at, at Omega next year. Um, we're we're going back, um, and I would say that to, to Jennifer's point about you know the, the interconnectivity. It's just going to get more and more, right? Yes, there are a thousand standards, and that's the, that's the old joke. Is, is when I think about standards, is is there so many to choose from? Um, but but this will, you know, kind of merge together. It's what happened in the in the IT space with switches and, and routers, uh, we all can can I can plug a, a Cisco router and connect it to an HP router, and the data will still flow, right? So the the same thing will happen in in this space.
2: Thank you very much, Tim. Tim, how does somebody reach out to you?
1: uh td albright on the on the twitters at this point i'm complaining about the bears uh and their head coach uh but beyond that you can also find me on avnation uh the lack of thank coach you. doug yes the lack of coach thank
2: you Tim. i appreciate it mr harper what are your thoughts? You think you'll be there next year? Oh, absolutely.
4: Uh, and actually, I am uh, I was waiting to send a note to Gary uh, congratulating him on his Légion d'honneur, and I noticed he had the little ribbon, uh, uh, which he got recently. But um, I was going to suggest to him that maybe we should bring back the summer CES, uh, because I agree with you, Dave, that uh, it, it's gotten too big. And maybe if we had a Eureka Park CES or something like that yeah. uh, for innovation and did a, a version of the summer and, and split it so that we had had more time to spend doing things and we, we were able to get that discovery uh, so I'll definitely uh, be there and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm certainly have missed it uh, uh, being there and I'll certainly be back unless of course you know there's some absolute ridiculous uh, variant that comes along that stops us but uh, my intention is to be there
2: if we all survive the next year Greg how can somebody reach out to you if they want to get you?
4: Uh, Harper vision one on Twitter or um, uh, just uh, send me an email uh, at uh, our LinkedIn that we worked as well
2: Terrific. Harp. You're back on Twitter. Okay, I'll have to start tagging you going
0: forward for this one. Mm-hmm. Doug, you think you're going to go again next year? Um, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, every year I, stay, every year I come home and I'm like, oh. Oh, do I really want but, to do this again? This one was easier. But, but yeah, I mean, if it stays smaller, I think for the next two to three years, it's going to be smaller because it's going to take time to rebuild to that level of Massive, 180-ish people. It's so I think the next two to three years, um, barring everybody, you know, going ah, Omicron's over, Kevin Fever, let's get to cure. It's going to take two to three years to build up from 40,000 to a bigger audience level. So I think for the next two to three years, assuming nothing else comes up, I, I I think I'm good to go. I do agree with Greg and other people's comments that it should be a smaller show, a more intimate show. Um, you know, but how they fragment. but I, I mean, there's a cultural issue at CTA that they're going to have to deal with if they want to go that route. Yeah. Um, and I also say to Jim's, uh, his wife's Apple watch, um, AI fixes everything. So the AI should hear her accent and look up where she was born to figure out that she's a Francophile and then adjust accordingly.
2: Or, or from Bensonhurst in Brooklyn, like where I grew up. Doug, how does someone reach out to you if they want to get you? Uh, at Twitter, Doug on IP com. Okay, terrific. And Jennifer, everybody's made the same point. How can you possibly choose between C-Space and between the the Parks Associates meeting and between Eureka Park and between the the space tech? And it's too much for any one person to do. So um, do you think you're going to be there again next year?
3: Yeah, I'll most certainly be there next year. I would love to see if they had a summer event and did a split out. We'd probably be both be at both. I think that um, in a really ironic way, CES is almost like the experience of CES is almost like the anti-metaverse, right? I'm there in person talking to other live humans in person, getting to touch and feel products, and I love it. So we'll, we'll most certainly be there next year.
2: Terrific. How would somebody reach out to you?
3: On Twitter, I'm at Jennifer M. Kent, easy, and then otherwise LinkedIn.
2: Terrific. Thanks very much. Thank you to all of my guests. As you guys know, I'm David Danto. Just Google my name. There's only two of them. One of them is a psychologist in Canada, and I'm the other guy. So feel free to reach out if I can help you. For AV Nation TV, for the IMCCA, and for all of my colleagues, thanks very much for joining us. We will be back um, with one of Jennifer's uh, co-workers, actually, in the next few weeks um, to talk about blending and blurring and you know consumer and enterprise and it and av and all the rest of the blends that are going on so uh, paul erickson and, and i will have a nice chat going forward and until then thanks for joining us and we'll see you then